Today's TribCast is presented by Comcast. Internet Essentials from Comcast brings affordable high-speed internet home. Learn more at internetessentials.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are I'm Matthew Dowd, Texas Independent and Entrepreneur and Chief Political Analyst for ABC News, and welcome to this week's TribCast. We are in an incredibly disruptive and innovative time in the world, and regardless if your candidate won or lost, or if you're happy or sad, one of the wisest things we can do is get out of our reinforcing small silos and listen to others of different views. And now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the third week of November. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Is it Svitek or Svitek? It's Svitek. LaCroix or LaCroix? Yeah. Uh, Svitek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Border Bureau Chief Julian Aguilar. Hello. Uh, and you don't see um, our producer Todd, who's off stage right now, um, but congrats to Todd, who just got engaged. Oh, yeah. to wow, congratulations. A woman, a delightful woman named Carsey, <laughs> who is way cooler than Todd. All right. <laughs> all we've been talking about all the time is the presidential election, so let's pivot to the latest uh, state-level news, and that's that the Texas legislative session is right around the corner. And if you have questions about it, you can shoot them our way on Facebook. Um, our slogan is, smoke them if you got them. <laughs> that's Ross's general slogan. <laughs> um, all right, so Monday was the first day of bill filing, which is always when we sort of see just a giant flurry of legislation, and Judy Zaffarini makes her staff stay up all night to, you know, wait to get those early numbers. 42 bills from one legislator. If, if, any, if everybody else filed as many bills as Zaffarini filed on the first morning, there'd be 7,600 bills this time to mess with. And are it's those crazy. Senate bills 1 through 42? No, the, the, lieutenant right, the, the, the 20 are reserved for Dan Patrick. Yeah, the right. lieutenant governor reserves the low numbers. Sorry, so what did we see? What kind of legislation came rolling in? Well, the, you know, the big talker you is, you know, there. there's a bunch of marijuana legislation. <laughs> nice one. Um, Thanks. There is, I mean, it depends on where you want to start. The lieutenant governor rolled out a list of 10 things that he wants to do that are going to be his 10 priorities that probably will be the top 10 bill numbers. Um, you know, and everything else is, you know, everybody filed their idea of what the first day should look like. There were more than 500 bills for the first time. Um, and, you know, it sort of ran the gamut. There's a bunch of legislation on abortion. There's a bunch of legislation. There's some legislation on vaccinations. There's, you know, just whichever door you want to come in. All right, let's go. Let's start with the abortion uh, legislation. I mean, what kind of legislation are we seeing that's different or that goes further than previous sessions? I mean, where else, where, where is there left to go? It doesn't necessarily go further than previous sessions, but it goes to places where previous sessions didn't reach. So, you know, there are always bills that say, you know, abortion should be just flat outlawed. Um, after 20, isn't the... And, and now the, the version weeks? is, you know, after 20 weeks. They're moving the dates back. Um, it's really a test. You know, the legislative session is really a test of what the legislature thinks the law ought to be going forward. Um, you'll see bills filed across the spectrum. It should always be legal. It should never be legal and everything in between. 
the legislature, you know, has paused where it has, and there's some incrementalists. One of them is this 20-week bill that's come up now. And there's also, I saw fetal remains legislation, so right. that's... Um, I mean, that, of the abortion legislation, that seems like the most likely to have some kind of momentum behind it just because the, of the support it has from state leaders, right? This was originally, yeah. initially looking like it was going to be a rule from the within the Health and Human Services Commission. I never can keep the components straight, but... Um, uh, one of the agencies under the Health and Human Services Commission, and I guess that effort has been pulled back some, and they've decided they need statutory relief here. Uh, and the idea is that um, fetal remains would have to be cremated or uh, buried. Right, which they've been trying to do just with regular old, you know, state right. policy. Without all, the all of this generally goes in the direction of you know, sort of the personhood idea, and the right. idea that if um, you know, back to Roe v. Wade, that if you don't treat um, fetuses as humans and don't give them all of the other rights, then it's not murder. Right. And if you do extend those rights to them, then you create personhood. There was there was one that, that stuck out. It was uh, after 20 weeks, even if the uh, even if there's a health issue um, with the with the woman or with the baby that she's carrying, is that is again, is that one of those sort of ceremonial this is where I stand on this, or does that actually have legs, do you think? Well, you know, it depends on what happens when you get it in the legislature. Right. You know, there are, like I say, the the bills that they file every time, and it's been this way for years, er, that they file every time cover the entire range from, you know, let's completely legitimize this and make it possible to have an abortion in every circumstance, or let's completely delegitimize it and make it not possible at all, and then everything in between. And the legislature in the last few sessions has had a um, has been more likely than before to consider more conservative bills than before. Um, but and whether they'll actually pass something is hard to say. Right, right. may feel emboldened now. Um, on Facebook, we've got some people asking some specific questions about specific legislation from Keith, our friend Stoner Keith. Please address bills aimed at decriminalizing, legalizing, reforming marijuana. <laughs> I don't know for a fact. He's a stoner. I made that up. Well, you know, the fight, you know, one of the fights here, and the Republicans in particular are fighting it, is the is terminology. Decriminalization yeah. is, you know, we're going to turn what's now Right. A felony joint into a misdemeanor, or you know, kind of like a traffic ticket. And Even Rick Perry was for that. So. Well, right, and you know, there were you know, Rick Perry's line was um, basically, you know, you shouldn't be given a life sentence for you know smoking a joint, smoking a joint, or, or carrying think, a joint. Or if I think of a few wanted. people at this office who would agree. <laughs> and then you know, um, legalization, of course, would be what twenty-eight states have done in right. some form or another, where they say you know you can have pot under these circumstances, and that runs the range from. For medicine only, to um, for whatever. It's it, but it's it's the uh, it's the it's the branding, right? Because you say decriminalization to make something not a crime means it's legal. So what the proponents of lower penalties need to do is actually like brand it that way, right? Which that gets the uh, sort of the fiscal conservatives on their side because they're saying we're spending millions in state jails, locking up people like you said, you know, right. coming back from a offenses. concert for a you know half a doobie and their car and then the, you know pipeline the prison and all that stuff and what does it happen but i think i mean it, it is a brand new thing even like what you said going back to former governor perry and it's a state's rights thing he said you want to smoke pot go to california yeah all, all of these things are sort of you know i mean you can take a lot of these things and make them branding and say you know if i call it this would you like it better exactly right mm -hmm. yeah. um so decrim seems to be the way to say let's do this but it's not we're not legitimizing it right we're just taking away the penalties. Well, speaking of getting a ride home from the concert, Lorena <laughs> wants to ask, what are they doing to protect ride shares like Uber and Lyft? What's the what kind of legislation have we already seen filed? Uh, and mob rule in Austin, <laughs> according to John Huffman. <laughs> uh, really? 
<laughs> well, we've, I, uh, what I know is that we've seen bills uh, filed yesterday, I think, from uh, at least two state senators, Don Huffines and right. Charles Schwartner, dealing with this issue. I don't believe the bills deal with it identically, um, but both bills are you know, obvious reactions to what happened in Austin earlier this year i believe it's hard to hard to imagine it was yeah. it was this year um but both seem to tackle yeah both seem to tackle that issue um by providing some kind of uh you know supposed fix at the state level i don't know if you know any more about this well you know they're basically race. saying you know austin's deal was they you know austin voters were presented with the idea of making drivers for these ride hailing services pass the same um criminal background checks as taxi cab drivers who were licensed by the cities and the um, Uber and Lyft in particular said, if you pass that, we will leave. And Austin voters did pass that, and they did leave. And the immediate response from Don Huffines in Dallas, who's the guy who called this mob rule, and from Charles Schwartner, who's from suburban Austin, was, you know, if the cities can do this, then one city can change a law. And um, this is where they came in a little bit different door. Um, Schwartner's from Georgetown, which is right outside of Austin. And he said, so I can't ride a cab or take an Uber from Georgetown to Austin now because it's legal in Georgetown or they provide the service in Georgetown but not in Austin. Huffines was more on a free market thing. He said you shouldn't regulate somebody out of business. And his uh, answer to this was deregulate everybody. Mm -hmm. So nobody would have to have a criminal background check except as prescribed by the state. Right. Uh, here's a question I'm sure only Ross will be able to answer. <laughs> any, any chance for reform on on the hail damage cap? You know, maybe. I mean, you know, this is always a fight over, you know, between actuaries and, and politicians. And, you know, should you be able to cap, uh, you know, the, the this arises from the insurance companies saying, you know, they're getting killed on hail damage claims. Whenever somebody wants a new roof, they say, you know, wait for a hailstorm and you get one. But if your insurance policy says if there's a hailstorm and it wrecks your roof, you're supposed to get a, a roof. And that's where you commence the argument, and everybody will come in with a stack of studies, and we'll see how it goes this time. One thing it's I, a perennial. One thing I didn't see on the list yet, and maybe I missed this yesterday, who, who's filing the omnibus sort of CPS, you know, foster care overhaul? That, is they, that on anybody's list yet? It seems like there's a lot involved with the budget on that one, right? right. So is it like they're holding back to see what Right. Our uh, Jordan Rudner, who's a former uh, fellow here and works now at the Dallas Morning News, caught Dan Patrick, Lieutenant the Governor National in Washington. National Press Club. And, yeah. yeah, right. And said, so what's the deal? This isn't on your list. Patrick put out this list of 10 things. Right. Said, what's the deal? This uh, CPS fix isn't on your list. And he said, it's more of a systemic problem that we're going to solve with rules and with budgetary stuff than a giant omnibus bill that you file. He said, you know, it's hmm. a very, very high priority, but it's not just That's a not piece of legislation. That's not one of my numbers, one through 20. So it's, what it's it, not a giant piece of legislation. Right. It's a little over here, a little over here, a little over here. and. Although that hasn't stopped them from doing a giant piece of legislation for almost every other crisis. I mean, well, that's true. He's also, you know, I, I, I recall um, when he laid out his legislative priorities in Dallas uh, several weeks ago, notably missing with CPS as well. Right. So, And again, he, he has this initiative where he's trying to get faith-based organizations involved in that. Um, but it seems like as far as leg legislative priorities go, legislative being the key word, it's not up there for him. Right. I mean, I have seen this sort of dialogue on the right, and I think the Texas Public Policy Foundation even put out, you know, a memo about this, basically that this should be an area where they're really emphasizing churches and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, nonprofits getting involved versus this being some kind of major legislative fix. Sure. However, it's a, it's a super costly legislative fix, and maybe that's why they well, well, you know, Charles, uh, Charles Smith, the executive commissioner of the Health and Human Services Commission, was on stage at TripFest, mm -hmm. and I asked him about this. And I said, you know, what's it going to cost to do this? And he said, uh, I need 1,300 employees and north of $400 million. So right. it, it's a serious 
uh, amount of money. I know it's a priority for, you know, Patrick has said in other contexts that it is a priority. It's a big priority for the governor. That's why Charles Smith is talking about it. It's a big priority for the speaker. So we got Dan Patrick's list of priorities and we got them. Have we, I mean, have I missed it? Have we received a similar list of priorities from, say, the governor ahead of the session or the speaker ahead of the session? You know, the main thing we've heard from the governor is the constitutional convention that mm-hmm. he's been talking about for a while. And, you so know, his, his, Thick little Patrick's book with 353 footnotes um, on seven or nine ways, rather, that mm-hmm. we should amend the U.S. Constitution. Um, you know, uh, Joe Strauss hasn't put out a list in terms of, you know, like, here's my list. But he's made a couple of speeches around the state, the Dallas Chamber, another one in San Antonio, where he's talked about the things that he wants to do during this session. So and, what are Patrick's? You know. What are his what are Patrick's priorities? Right. None of them are too surprising. I think if you've been following his public remarks over the past several months, you know that this was all kind of coming. I guess there may be some surprises in terms of how he ranked them. Um, you know, for example, dealing with uh, bathrooms uh, is a little lower than I would think, just given how emphatic he was. Or it was like seven out of ten versus like two out of ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's a little bit in the Federal Witness Protection Program too. I mean, you know, they would take issue with that, but they've they've recast this a little mm-hmm. bit instead of this being about or specifically about transgender people and what bathrooms they use. They, they're calling it the Women's Privacy Act now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's I, like how they build the hero Houston Equal I think, Rights. You know, the way they pitched yeah. it is, you know, I mean, this is a this is almost a poll driven description. This is from the press release that he put out. A majority of Texans in both political parties and in every ethnic and demographic group believe that women and girls should have privacy and safety in their restrooms, showers, and locker rooms. Unfortunately, legislation is necessary to assure that they do. That's kind of how they're casting this as they go in. You know, the polling we did, the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll, basically said the same thing. If you say, should people choose... Cast it as protecting women and and girls, right? Well, you know, we didn't cast it that way. We said, should transgender people use uh, bathrooms and locker rooms according to their birth gender or their gender identity. And most Texans say birth gender. Yeah. So if on, on an issue like this, so would it be uh, similar to like the uh, open carry where private businesses can have a sign that says, I don't allow open carry here. The way Starbucks has a, you know, a gender, uh, all gender bathroom or Planet Fitness, you know, is, you know, friendly with LGBT, you know, these issues and I, things like I, that. I, I suspect, I mean, I, I don't know. We haven't seen specific legislation out of the with the lieutenant governor's stamp on it yet. Mm-hmm. But I suspect this ends up being in public buildings mm-hmm. and in, you know, public spaces right. and not in private buildings. The tension on it, you know, most recently played out in North Carolina is between if you're a Republican and you look at this, your voters are clearly with the lieutenant governor on this. I mean, the needle's way over. Um, he knows his audience. And if you're talking to business groups, uh, they, um, especially big business, the kinds of businesses that Texas has been trying to attract and that North Carolina has been trying to attract, they would rather not go into this space, rather not talk about it. In North Carolina, that cost them an NCAA event. It cost them an expansion of PayPal. Um, and there's a group of Texas businesses under the rubric Texas Competes that has said we don't want any of this kind of discrimination. So if you're a Republican, you're looking at your businesses are over here, your voters are over there, and I suspect one way out of that is to say we're not talking about businesses, we're just talking about schools and universities and government buildings. I mean, given how much uh, rhetoric and conversation we're hearing from President-elect Trump on immigration issues, Julian, did you see any immigration legislation uh, that has already been uh, suggested or offered that might have a better chance this session than in sessions past? Well, I mean, I think it has a better chance, but it's nothing dramatically different from what's, you know, been filed in the past. I Mm -hmm. think it was, was it number four, um, sanctuary cities on his list of priorities? 
Um, it's it's pretty. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if he was numbering them actually. Right, right, right. Like no, that. I know. This no, one's no, more no. important than that one. <laughs> yeah, it um, was number four. It was yeah, number yeah. four. You're right. <laughs> Factually. Um, so it, it everybody you know take a trip back to 2011 when sanctuary cities legislation was cops that couldn't ask status or enforce immigration right, which a lot of people said. I mean, that could lead to racial profiling. Say, you know, I take a walk in the park at 10.01 p.m., technically I'm trespassing because it's past curfew. So in that sense, if that bill had passed, a cop could ask me if I'm in the country legally, which a lot of people, including several Republicans, thought was offensive. Mm-hmm. It's the, the definition has changed now to jails not cooperating with ICE on detainers. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that is a it's a more it's a trickier area for people that are against sanctuary cities because I think you you pull the public at large and they think you know if you did something horribly wrong or you even charged or arrested with something I mean you should be run through the system we've all been overseas right we, you know with permission to travel and we're very careful because we know that we're in another country under another country's purview and their government so I think a lot of people and you know you get the argument like well this this program it's separating families because you got people deported for traffic tickets well if if you're in the country without authorization. You know, pay your traffic tickets. Don't don't drive drunk and don't do those things. Right. But this just it all depends on the definition. Again, in 2011, opponents of this, they, it, was a, it was a big victory for them. But now, you know, when they're getting into like get ice out of out of jails, if something happens or it continues to happen where you get somebody that was released from from custody that goes on to commit, I mean, it's just, it's going to hit the fan, and you're going to see a lot of tension, and I think these issues are not going away, especially now with President-elect Trump saying he's going to deport two to three million people. You know, he hadn't set out a time frame. Right. But, you know, I mean, according to ICE's numbers, President Obama has, has removed, you know, at least a quarter of a million, if not more, since he took office every year. Um, and that's not including, you know, immediate setbacks from the Border Patrol. So Right. I mean, Obama wasn't uh, pivoting to talk about this a little bit. I mean, Obama wasn't exactly beloved for his no, handling of immigrants. I mean, weren't uh, deportations were, were very high right. under his administration. Right. Yeah. And, and generally speaking, deportations. So a lot of people, you know, comments on my story like, well, you're not defining your right. Is it somebody that's immediately removed or it's somebody that's has a, a judge's order, whatever, or removal? They were sky high under President Obama. Um, but, you know, of course, a lot of people, the Republicans, especially you know don't want to don't want to admit that or they don't want to come to terms with it or they, or they, still or they think stay. it should be sky or higher i mean it right. should right. be you know it right. should be um sure. that he's done less of a bad job than some of his predecessors right. would you know be maybe how they put it right. right i mean how does texas approach so how does texas approach this legislative session how do republicans in the legislature approach this session i mean do you think that Given the Trump presidency, they are looking at sort of a clear runway. Do they still have, you know, really a lot of elbows to throw in in the legislature to get things done? I mean, if you are a Texas Republican, how are you approaching this legislative session differently than you have in years past? I think you're waiting to see whether Trump is going to do from the federal level some of the things that they hope and suspect he will do. For example, on sanctuary cities, he said he's going to cut off federal aid to... Mm -hmm sanctuary cities um, and if that's the case you know the state might not need to do anything yeah. that may that may whip those cities into line That'll whatever your definition of sanctuary cities is right or even border security you know Jay, Jay Root and I wrote a story last week about what it means for spending for the, the legislature because a month ago uh, Chairman Bonin who was a co-author of HB 11 the omnibus border security bill he had already raised concerns he's like you know Director McCraw from DPS uh, t- uh, Department of Public Safety we gave you 800 million dollars we expect this to be enough he's like well you know I might need more money to do this or do that and so after 
after the fact, Bonner was saying, look, we're not going to have a lot of money. I don't, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to give him this much. So talking to him last week, he said, you know, I'm not going to jump the gun. We're going to wait and see what Trump says, what Trump does, because there's still a lot of time from after the time he's sworn in to when they can still, you know, mess with bills before they really figure out what they have to do. Yeah, yeah. Ted DeLisi, a Republican consultant who right. has worked for Perry, wrote a tr- column for our Trib Talk site where basically he said, you know, how much should how much should Texas spend on voter security under a Trump administration? Yeah, zero dollars right. and zero cents. Right. <laughs> you know, right. in theory, this is all going to be should all be handled for us, and all those hundreds of millions of dollars can can go somewhere else. But I don't. know. I mean, Patrick, what kind of what kind of mood are you seeing? Not just around sort of you know immigration, but but I mean whether it's sure. Well, I think ID, yeah. First, it's, yeah, yeah. First and foremost, it's wait and see, as Ross mm-hmm. said. But then among some of the um, you know more conservative Republicans in the state, kind of the Dan Patrick wing of the party, there's this exuberant very big sense of excitement, mm-hmm. um, you know, as he has told us and many other media outlets, you know, he feels like it, this is kind of like, um, you know, a new day uh, that the Texas legislature can pass all this bold conservative legislation without worrying about the federal government kind of swatting it away or the courts overturning it. Um, he feels like, you know, this is going to be an era of unrestrained, you know, conservative uh, law- lawmaking. Um, I think that remains to be seen, especially because of what we just talked about, the wait-and-see approach. A lot of that will depend on, you know, what Trump prioritizes and doesn't prioritize. But, you know, among people— he turns out to be a Republican after all. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, as as we wrote, I mean, some Texas Republicans, especially someone like Dan Patrick, they definitely seem more emboldened than ever to move forward with some of these, um, you know, pet issues that they've had for a while and some of the bigger issues as well. I I think they're looking for transformation here, and they're looking for, you know, this is going to be a conservative reformation in kind of the sense that— it was in 1980 when Reagan came in. But they're so, also waiting to see whether they're still at war with the federal government. Right, yeah. right, right. I mean, what would you say are their top three? You know, what are the things that suddenly they seem like they look like they have a clearer pathway? Well, one thing that I don't know if it's top three, one thing Dan Patrick named is this voter ID fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, Texas I is under a, a court three. order yeah. to fix its voter ID legislation. They have to take that up this uh, upcoming session. And Dan Patrick has said, you know, it's so uh, freeing knowing that we're going to be able to we're going to be able to tackle that without having to worry about the Justice Department or any other segment of the federal government um, challenging us on it. I mean, that's a bit of an assumption, but that was that was essentially what he said. All right. What else? What would be in your top three? You know, I think they're going to want to see what kind of things they can get done with um, Clean Air Act, with environment, with a lot of the things where, you know, a lot of these are executive orders and things that um, it's not so much what the state can do, but what the state can stop having to fight the federal government over if Trump actually pulls back some of the things the Obama administration has done and some of the things the Bush administration did. I mean, they'd like to get out of a lot of that stuff and, and free, you know, if you sort of follow the... You know, the line that goes all the way from Bush through Perry through Abbott, um, the sort of um, diminished regulation, you know, freer markets. Yeah, although Kia Collier on our staff had a really interesting story about, you know, how the oil and gas industry in Texas is responding to Trump. And, you know, you just assume that the oil and gas industry would say, oh, fewer regulations. This is awesome. This is going to be great for us. Turns out, maybe not because Trump has such a love affair with coal and coal is the primary competitor Mm -hmm. to, you know, these oil and gas companies. So even they might not be particularly pumped. You know, every industry looks at every government and says, are you going to restrain me in a way that um, diminishes my competitive ability? And, you know, this is kind of where you're going. If you're going to cut regulations, that's great. But if you're going to cut regulations for my competitor more than you do for me, 
you know, that I'm hobbled in some way. And right. I, I think there, there are always going to be a bunch of fights like that. I mean, I think I would put, you know, Obamacare on the top three of that mm-hmm. list. You know, Texas has been asking right. the feds for to, to give it a block grant to run Medicaid as Texas sees fit for years now. And the Obama administration has said, no, no, thanks. Um, you know, this is probably, in theory, if, if I mean, we'll see how the whole healthcare system gets unraveled and re-raveled. There's been a little hedging on that from Trump already. But in theory, that opens up a runway for Texas, you know, to get those resources. That, that's one where I'm not sure they could, you know, no matter what they do at the federal level, I'm not sure they do it quickly enough for the legislature between January and May to actually react on it. I think, you know, chances are we get a federal thing and you know, that's either a special session deal for the Texas legislature or it's something for the 2019 session. Right. Yeah. And I think we've mentioned this in prior trip casts, or I know Rossley's mentioned in his column, but just the entire political context here is so remarkable now. So much of what Texas Republicans have done over the past several years has been the policy, ma- the policy making, the political maneuvering has been so rigidly and largely defined by opposition to the federal government, right. opposition to the Obama administration. And now that's completely flipped. Um, You know, I think the first public remarks that Ted Cruz had on the the election was that this is kind of like a put up or shut up moment for Republicans, including himself, basically, because so much of what he's done. Yeah, they've got to prove the case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to become them against Trump. You have the driver's seat on the bus. You have the first row. You have the second row. You have the third row. (laughs) You've got all the rows, basically. I mean, it's their government. So, you know, this is, you know, like you say, put up or shut up. Well, just a reminder, if you're tuning on Facebook, that you can send questions our way. Obviously, Immigration, deportation issues, the wall, those are the things that Trump has not been backing away from mm-hmm. at all. And those are the things that, you know, in theory could affect Texans probably in an outsized way. I mean, what's what's the mood in Texas? Um, what's the mood on the border? What's the mood among, you know, people who's who have family members who are undocumented right. immigrants? Well, they're 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 concerned, but it's on two levels. It's on it's on his trade talk, and it, but it's also, I'll go with the immigration thing at first. I mean, yeah, I, w- I went down to Laredo on Wednesday, and some folks, um, some of they, they are concerned. You know, I had I had people tweeting at me from the Valley saying, you know, school teachers in the Rio Grande Valley saying, you know, the kids came to school crying today, they're U.S. citizens, but they're afraid that their parents are going to get deported. Again, it's all a sort of wait and see, because he did double down on the two to three criminal aliens or whatnot. The Washington Million. Post uh, yeah. fact-checked them and said, well, they're not all in the country um, illegally. Right. Um, you know, But then there's some talk about, like, no, if you're here and you're not doing anything. So it just depends on his, on his rollout. But I also think it depends on a lot on the reaction. Like, if you can't take factory jobs back to Michigan immediately, I mean, are you going to have riots? But if you can't make good on your promise to deport all these you know, rapists and criminals that you promised to, I mean, what happens to the people that were really, really, really banking on that happening? You right. know? Right. What happens to, like, civil society? You're going to see more right. of this sort of, um, I mean, blatant violence and, and, you know, racism that we've seen in the, post, uh, the post-election the week that we've, that we've lived so far. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, it all depends. And then talking to Congressman Cuellar, the only Texas Democrat on appropriations, I mean, he, his words, he said, I, you know, I'm going to talk to my buddy Michael McCall, Chairman McCall, who has been sort of rumored to be in Possible. a cabinet position. Right. Yeah. And chairman of Homeland Security, uh, Homeland right, Security. Now, right He said, you know, I took him from Laredo down to the valley, and I said, how the hell are you going to build a fence here or a wall here? It's not, you know, he says Mexico's going to pay for it. I think a lot of people think the wall's going to be on the Mexican side. No, it's going to be on this side. And in Texas, unlike in California and other places, this is private land. This isn't public land. This isn't federal land. So you're going to have to deal with a lot of those things. And I think as far as the wall is concerned, we've seen in this post-election period, a lot of Republicans, including in Texas, have kind of selectively interpreted what they... (laughs) What that promise was. I mean, I think uh, everyone interpreted that promise to be a singular wall along the the Mexico-Texas or Mexico-U.S. border. And now we're seeing people, you know, kind of him and haw about it. There's a lot of projecting going on right now. 
you remember eight years ago, this is when everybody was buying tons and tons of ammunition because Obama was right. going to take right. away take their away guns. Away. I mean, you're going to get the same reaction yeah. you know, now until people actually know what the Trump administration is going to do and you know, just sort of chill out a little bit and see what happens. The, the other thing on the border, though, um, is the, uh, the peso. People are concerned about the peso. And people are like, well, that's Mexican currency. Why does it affect us? Because a lot of those people come over to shop. I mean, every other block in Laredo or in El Paso, it, you know, there's a, an exchange, uh, a money exchange place where people buy and right. sell their money and their currencies. I talked to a lot of folks that says, you know, uh, the election night, we just saw the, I mean, we saw it falling and falling and falling. I mean, I think it was the most it fell since 94, since they redid their currency. So you have a lot of business owners in, on the border who depend on that, those sales tax. And, you know, they're saying, well, this is, this is another reason we're kind of nervous. So the border has, it's all eyes on the border as far as how they react and how they're affected on immigration, on NAFTA, right. and on the, on the currency. A uh, yeah. question about NAFTA from Lorena. Will Texas influencers stand up for NAFTA? I think so. From from what I've already heard, you know, um, even Congressman O'Rourke, who said he, you know, he wasn't, he's not necessarily for TPP, which is probably a non-issue now. But NAFTA it took him a while to come the around. Trans-Pacific you know, Trans Partnership. Yeah. Right. Um, the, Say that three times. But again, you know, Congressman Cuellar, I talked to the uh, um, Richard Dayu, the CEO of the, of the El Paso Chamber of Commerce. He said, what Trump doesn't understand is that NAFTA doesn't only affect the four border states. There are more than 30 states that are affected positively because of NAFTA. We had a story where we showed the truck traffic just going from Laredo it hit every every state in the country I mean some more than others obviously but so they're saying it's more bark than bite and Congressman Cuellar said you know you remember the last president that campaigned on renegotiating and have to his name was Barack Obama right yeah. so this is something and, a lot of folks well you know say. one of the states that's a giant beneficiary it's usually in the top three or five is Michigan right you know, I mean, it's right. not all just Texas, states on the yeah. U.S.-Mexico right. border. I mean, a car, they say an average car that's, that's sold in the United States, it's sent back and forth on the assembly line, on the freight, on the freight train, back and forth to Mexico five or six times. You know, wow. you build a chassis here, you do something there, you bring it back and forth. So it's, right. you know, made in the U.S.A., but with 40% Mexican parts, right? right? And I was going to say, politically, I think trade by extension, NAFTA is the one issue where even Republicans may be skeptical of Trump, don't really like him, but haven't spoken up about him. They'll speak up on that issue. Right. I feel like that's that the one that'll, that'll yeah. bring him out. Yeah. Uh, question from Rose. Could Trump bring even more jobs to Texas if his infrastructure bill, if his infrastructure promises pass? If, if they bring more jobs to the U.S., then they'll bring more jobs to Texas. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean that's, that's really sort of a broad question. If, I don't think he's specifically going to bring them to Texas. Um, but I think, you know, if this is a, an administration that or a period that creates a bunch of jobs, Texas always booms in times like that. But if you're building roads and bridges and you get rid of all the undocumented folks, what's going to happen then? Slower Who's? building. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. More expensive. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, you can email us at Tribcast at TexasTribune.org or sign up for Tribcast Alerts at TexasTribune.org slash Tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Patrick, Ross, Julian, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Le croix. 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 But we're not in France.